Lukuta Sikha is Chelakov Bey's Parsha Tazriya Sikha, all of a summary of the Sikha. It's a minig that by a bris, the, uh, there is a man and a woman who are the escorts. They bring the baby to the shul or to the room where the bris is going to take place. And since every minig is a, is a, has the, imp, the power of Torah behind it, one could say that the, re, the reason that a woman is included as part of this bringing of the baby to the bris, where, if you think about it, a woman doesn't have the mitzvah of milah, she doesn't have the, even have the mitzvah of circumcising her son. That's entirely the responsibility of the father. Why, why then is, has the minig been that a woman should be part of this? We can see this from our pasuk, from our parsha. Right at the beginning of the parsha, it says, "A woman that will uh, give birth on the as she should be tummy for seven days, and on the eighth day shall be the bris milah." And it goes on to talk about the laws of a status of a woman that gives birth. The father, the husband, is not mentioned in this parsha at all. So why is it that the bris milah is mentioned in the context of teaching the status of the woman in the in birth? The reason is because the Torah is including the woman into the process of the brismila as well. And that's expressed by the fact that she is part of the kvater of the escort to bring, not necessarily the mother, but a, a woman is part of the bringing of the baby to the bris. Now, part of the minig of a kvater is that a pregnant woman should not be a kvater. And even though reasons are given, like she shouldn't, there shouldn't be an ayin harder or whatever the other reason, but these are all side reasons. When a minig says something, it must be that there is an essential connection between the minig, in this case that the woman should not be pregnant when she's the kvater, is somehow connected to the essence of the mitzvah of mila. It's not just for some side reason that she shouldn't be, but rather because it expresses what a kvatern is and what her mission, her purpose is in the, bris, in the mitzvah of Mila and therefore a pregnant woman shouldn't do that so to explain this we first have to explain that there is another situation in which a man and a woman act as the escort and that is of course by a wedding when the, there is a man and a woman a married couple which escort the chasen and another married couple usually which escort the kala and in regards to that minute also it says that a pregnant woman should not be the escort to the chasen kala. So clearly there is a connection between these two escorts. In fact, Svarim say that there is a connection between these two escorts for the mil bris and for the wedding, and that the reason why they <coughs> shouldn't be pregnant is the same reason for both situations. So to explain. We find in regards to the meaning of kaporis that every person gets a kapora on Erev Yom Kippur. For the men it's a, a rooster, for the women it's a hen. So what happens if there is a, uh, a pregnant woman? So a pregnant woman should take, there are two customs. One is that she should take one hen and one rooster because the fetus inside her might be a boy or a girl. And if it's so, according to this opinion, that it should be one hen. So she and the fetus, if it's a girl, can be yoitza with one, one hen. Another um, uh, custom is that it should be, and the Alter Rebbe says that this is the minig, this is in fact the minig darizal, and that's what we do, that it should be two hens and a rooster. A hen for the, for the mother, a hen for the fetus if it's a girl, a rooster for the fetus if it's a boy. So from the fact that we see that the mother, it's not enough for the mother to have a hen, and that's it. And the fetus is just a part of her. We see that it's more than that. 
the fetus, she needs also a kapara on behalf of the fetus, or because she is pregnant, because she has a fetus within her. So we see that there is something more that is a part of her that you can't just say that it's a woman and that's it. Therefore, when, when there's an escort, when she acts as an escort, it's no longer two people. Now you have the pregnant woman is her plus. And therefore, there might be a problem that there's three people involved. There could be also a problem that there's not a balance of how many men and how many women are in this, what's supposed to be a man and a woman. It should either be an equal amount of men and women, and if, and if one of the, the fetus is considered a person in some way, or as we'll see for soon, even more than that, then you might have two women and one man, or two men and one woman, and that could also be a problem in regards to the es- escort purpose, to the purpose of the escort. But you could ask the question reasonably, that why do we have to worry about the fact that there's a third element here, the, the fetus, under the chuppah there's all kinds of people standing under there, there's the rabbi and the, and the uh, announcer, the MC. there's other people there too, not just the escort, so why should we have to worry about the fact, we don't worry about them as interfering in the escort, but there's obviously a difference between people that are there not as as escort, not as a part of the escort party and the fetus which is there as a part of the mother who is part of the escort party and therefore there is a difference between a pregnant woman and just another person standing by in fact we find a similar thing in Allah that there is a uh, if there, uh, there are certain witnesses that cannot be act as witnesses, for instance relatives if there are two witnesses which are relatives, they are disqualified as witnesses. There could be a, pr- a witness that is apostle, he's for some reason disqualified, he himself cannot be a witness for anything. So the Allah is, if a group of witnesses, let's say five witnesses come along, and two of them are found to be relatives, or one of them happens to be a disqualified witness, the entire group of five witnesses is disqualified. They cannot be witnesses in this case. Because one person being part of that party undermines the entire party. But that is only if they were all there as witnesses. They came to court in order to testify. But if they were just standing around, everybody saw what happened, but not everybody wanted to be part of the witness party. Like for instance, at a wedding. At a wedding, there are hundreds of people observing the chuppah. They see the husband uh, putting a ring on the wife's finger and so they saw the, the, wet, the wedding happen and there are certainly mel- many relatives at the wedding would you say that now it could ne- you can never have a wedding you have to go into private where there's only two witnesses no, they're not part of the test they're not part of the witness party As in fact by some wit- the weddings they declare the rabbi declares we appoint these two to exclusion of everyone else the purpose of that is <clears throat> only the two designated witnesses are the witnesses and therefore nobody else dis- destroys the witness party because they're not part of the party the same way here when there's people standing under the chuppah not as escorts they don't interfere but if the, the, the fetus is coming along with the mother as the escort part of the escort so then it could be an interference 
to take a moment to understand the matter of the kaparas a little better. The question could be asked, why would a... It's not that we say that the fetus needs is a separate independent person. Because why would a fetus need a kapara? They're not even born yet. Why do they need atonement? So therefore, we have to look at it as the fetus as being a part of the mother. The mother needs atonement. Because every yid needs atonement. So if we were to take, for instance... So what happens is the mother is changed and becomes a person which is made up of two people. And just like every limb in her body needs a kapara, when, let's say, she ate something that was non-kosher, so every part of her body is involved in that and needs to, needs to gain atonement. The, the fetus, which is, in a, in a way, another person growing inside her, so therefore that is not included in her Person, persona, and therefore that part of her needs a separate kapara. What kind of a kapara? If it's a male, then it's going to need a rooster to bring atonement for that element of her. But it's an element of her. And therefore, when we talk about a woman that's pregnant should not be an, a, an escort, it's not because there is a third person involved. It's more that the woman herself is made up of two people and therefore, now you have an imbalance, as we said before. Now, to explain, why is it that we need a man and a woman to be an escort? We can understand by a chasana, because you need one for the chasana, one for the kala, but for a bris, what do you need a man and a woman to be an escort for the baby, for the bris? So, since we find the similarity between the, uh, the escorts for the bris and the escorts for the, ch- for the chasana, so we'll understand, if we understand what the reason by a wedding is, then we'll understand better why it needs to be the same by a bris. The reason by a wedding is simple. You have a man and a woman which don't know each other, really, and if you think about it, they just got to know each other, and they have this natural separation between them. They were not permitted to be close to each other. And now, suddenly, after the wedding, they go into they go through this transition where now they're meant to be very close to each other. So this brings out a natural hesitancy, a natural shyness, an awkwardness, which the man is going to help the chassan to get past that, give him some strength, give him some encouragement, say words that will help him over that hump. The same with the woman. She needs to have a person that will be able to, and in fact it should be a married couple, a married person that is married, if it's a single guy that's going to be the best man for the chosen, what can he tell him about marriage? He doesn't know anything about it himself. So it should be a married person that can encourage and bring the chosen and the kala together, the chosen's escort from his side, the kala's escort from her side. Everything that happens in a physical wedding is because that's how it evolved from the paradigm wedding, the spiritual wedding, which is between the Yidin and Hashem. There too, there was a an escort on the part of the chassan, that was Moshe Rabbeinu, Shushvinu de Malka, the escort of the king, and then Aaron was the Shushvinu de Malka, the, 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 uh, the Maturnisa, the, uh, the escort of the queen, the Jewish people. The Jewish people need an escort because they need to be able to rise up, to be able to receive Hashpa from Hashem, and that's something very scary. It's very uh, beyond our ability to, it's very awesome and awe-inspiring and so on, and it's scary. So Aaron was able to bring us up and help us lift ourselves up to Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu, 
since there is a difficulty and it's a new thing that the, uh, the before Matan Torah there was no there was a separation between the upper and the lower and now he needs to be Mam Shechelakus he has to draw down godliness into the world for the for, you know it's something that knew that what didn't happen before the wedding is of course Matan Torah so therefore you need those two escorts to bring the thing together and this um, function the role of the escort is not just some side function it's very integral to the coming together of the chasen and the kala, both in the physical sense and also in the spiritual sense. That's why the shushvin is considered, the shushvin in our part of legal, they're legally, halachically part of the celebration, part of the wedding party. They're not just bystanders which had a small role in the wedding. They are part of the celebration too. Which explains also why there has to be these escorts by a bris. The bris is the physical culmination, the physical expression of this wedding between the Yidin and Hashem. Matan Torah was the wedding of the Yidin and Hashem. Where is that manifestly expressed? The fact that a Yid has a bris, which means a physical imprint of the, of the covenant between Hashem and the Yidin, between, of the marriage between Hashem and the Yidin, is the bris, which is the physical imprint of it on the Jewish body. Which happen, and it's an eternal bond. Therefore, the bris is another way of saying it's the actualization of the marriage. And just like a marriage needs a chasen, a, a, a shushvin from the side of the chasen and from the side of the kala, so also when we talk about a bris, which is the physical manifestation of that, there needs to be a, a shushvin, an escort for the, from the side of the chasen and the side of the kala. Which is the reason, because a bris is a, an expression of the wedding of the Yidin, uh, between the Yidin and Hashem, that's why a bris is always associated, accompanied by a celebration. We don't find by other mitzvahs that there's a celebration every time you do a mitzvah, not at all. But over here, the Pasuk says, Sasa Noichi, said, I rejoice over your words. That Chazal say this is talking about a bris. Rejoicing has to do with bris, even though every mitzvah has to be accompanied by joy. But it's especially true, it's a different kind of a celebration for a bris. In fact, the Gemara says that the, uh, why was the bris made for the eighth day? Why is it on the eighth day? The reason is because the Torah says that for the first seven days the husband and the wife have to be separate it's only seven days the eighth day she can go to the mikveh and then it's already the next uh, 33 days by a boy are and they could be together so it would be inappropriate that everybody is celebrating by the bris and the father and the mother they have to be separate that's why it was made for the eighth day when they are already not, there's no need for them to be separated from each other. In other words, that an essential part of the bris is simcha. And this is because it expresses the same idea of a wedding which is a newness, a whole new um, paradigm for these two people. They were separate, now they're together, and, and which brings the simcha. The same simcha is also experienced by a bris. And the Rebbe makes an important point here that by a woman, this is, it's not that a woman is left out of this part of the wedding. A woman, the Gemara says, is it's as if she was born circumcised, born with a bris. Meaning to say, and this is not some people think that this is some kind of a, you know, you've got to say something nice for the women, but it's really essentially important 
that a woman is part of this. On her body is also imprinted the wedding that exists between the Yidin and Hashem. That's what the Gemara is saying. And that she is part of this Simcha as well, not just to be left out of that Simcha. And they're fulfilling these two mitzvahs of uh, having children and having a bris. This will bring to the great Simcha when Hashem truly marries the Yidin uh, by the Mashiach said, that's when also will be the true perfect bris when Hashem will circumcise our hearts to serve Him, and that will happen. And then Moshe and Aaron, the Shushminin, will also be with them, with us.